Welcome to the messages of Cornerstone Anglican Church. The things that truly satisfy us come freely from our God. In this episode from the archives, Pastor Andrew digs deep into the prophecies of Isaiah to show us just how great our God is. Recently, the Lord asked me to look up a verse in Isaiah 55, which reads like this. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. And the Lord said that this verse, its meaning, is critical to our own growth and the growth of our church. Now, I'm very familiar with this chapter, and I want to unpack it for you so we get a sense of what God really means and what he's really asking us to do. This could be seen as simply repentance preaching or hellfire and brimstone preaching, but I want to move away from that to get a sense of what it is that God is saying to our hearts. Now, you might say, are you saying that we're wicked or evil? Surely we're not. And of course you're not. I fooled myself by thinking that myself. We are. There are things that we are led to do which are not right by any standard. And the hiding of them also makes it worse. I remember some time back in our parish of Belan, I was doing a series of sermons across our five churches. And I took our silver wedding goblet, which was really not shining. And in the first four churches, I did a little bit of, someone, would you look in that? Can you see your reflection? No. Well, let's clean it and see. And yes, now I can. And getting a sense that as Christians even, through the events of life and the difficulties and the temptations, we just get a little bit overwhelmed getting things a bit loose, and Jesus comes in and shines us up again. And it went well. Everybody understood what I was saying. But the fifth church, they said, are you saying that we are wicked, that there's something wrong with us? And they were really not happy. And I'm trying to say, no, that's not what I'm saying. As Christians, we just gather trust. It's what we do. It's the world we live in. And they couldn't get a sense that this wasn't specifically addressed to them. And yet I think it was. Because not much further down the track, God closed their church. And it was done at a point in time where I was on sick leave. There was no reason for it to be closed. It was just a rationalization going on with the diocese. And they just simply declared it's closing. And that really hurt those people, understandably. But what God actually asks us to do is really examine our hearts. 
not gloss over things. And the wonderful thing about our confession in the Anglican tradition is not only to confess the things that we have done, but the things we missed, the things we didn't do when we should have done them. Yep, we are walking okay, you know, making sure that we mind our cues here and there, but what about the thing we forgot, the person we forgot? So if God challenges us, hey, take note of this verse, and notice that there's no condemnation at this point for Israel here. It's a call to return. It's a call to turn back from their ways where they've strayed. And God is going to have mercy on them and he's going to forgive them. Really clear. And yet they didn't get it. And then we go on a couple of verses further and we find an extremely striking statement by God, which most scholars and most Christians get wrong. It says in verse 8, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Now, Christians and scholars have taken this man that God is of such an infinite nature that he's beyond us. His ways, his thoughts are so infinitesimally beyond us, we can't grapple with them. And this is a consistent interpretation of this passage, which I think is not what God is saying to Israel at this point and purely because it follows the first verse I read, verse 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his ways and the unrighteous man his thoughts, and let him return to the Lord, and he will have mercy on him and our God, for he will abundantly pardon. What God is wanting us to get here and was wanting Israel to get is he wanted them to think his thoughts and he wanted them to walk in his ways. And yes, it's beyond them at one level, but through him it is possible at all levels because our God is able to abundantly pardon, to cleanse the floor, to cleanse us through and through. He's able to do a work in our hearts of such a nature that he enables us to begin to participate in the way he thinks and the things that he does. And he thus calls us to that. Now, there's some really strange little passages in this chapter. But let's go to the beginning of the chapter and hear this. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. So is God putting on a free party here? Is that what he's saying? No, what God is saying here is that what I'm about to unpack for you is available for everybody. You don't have to be rich. 
You don't have to be powerful. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be an academic. You don't have to be royalty. It's now available without cost to everyone. Then he goes on to say, and I think it undergirds that meaning, why do you spend your money on what is not bread and your wages for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good and let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me Hear and your soul shall live, and I'll make an everlasting covenant with you. What God is trying to say is, hey, it sounded like I was handing out wine and all that stuff at the beginning, but what I'm really getting at, they don't satisfy. And the things that satisfy come from our God. The things that truly get to the depths of our being and give us peace in our hearts and peace in our souls comes from God. And it's delivered freely. An incredible God. Throughout this book of Isaiah, Isaiah wants us to get it. How great is our God? This is an incredible God. If you put him up against all the other gods, they just fall so lamely in front of him. How great is our God? And right through the book, God is speaking to the hearts of his people to come back to him, to restore the relationship, to get it right. And then God says this, and I'm going to go back to what I just said. Back there in verse 8. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. There's an invitation for us to come to him and to partake of those ways and those thoughts. And then he goes on to say something quite incredible about his word. For as the rain comes down and the snow in heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud, that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me, and it will not be void, but it will accomplish that which I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, what God is saying is he sends forth his word, and it will achieve his intentions. And that may not always mean that it will actually fulfill what it says. How many of us have received words from God? Personal words. Words that strengthen us. Words that give us a settled feeling, that comfort us. But then there are words that challenge us. Stuff that God says he's going to do and invites us on the journey. But we often don't realize it is a journey. So if God gives us a word, it's not like, hey, just sit there and watch me do it for you. It's, hey, you have to do something to come to a place to receive it. You have to grow. You have to be expanded. You have to be stretched. If you're going to grab this promise that I put before you, you can't have it 
in the state that you're now in. You have to move. You have to expand. You have to grow. And when you do, the word has achieved its purpose. And the promise comes. If we will take the word at heart and allow it to do in us what God sent it for, to do in our church, why God sent it for our church, that he might achieve his purpose, his cause, through his word that he has sent. And as he said, he would not return to me without fulfilling what I sent it for. And often we hit situations, we think, we just stuffed this up. This just didn't go the way it should have gone. You ever had that sort of situation? It really didn't go how it should have gone. How many times have you felt an utter failure? That the thing just fell apart? And sometimes it made you look pretty silly. Other times it brought condemnation. And yet if it's a part of God's word that he sent forth, it is achieving his purpose in you and in your circumstances. I remember we had a situation in one of our parishes years ago, not in our church but in the community, And there was great controversy and I was one of the leaders of a social group in the town and there was a meeting of the members who were all for us and yet the forces at work defeated us. And I remember that night laying in bed and thinking, this didn't go the way it should have gone. Then the Lord said, thank you for what you've done. And that stunned me. I thought, well, Lord, this just blew apart on us. It, it fell apart. It didn't go where it should go. But no, it achieved the purpose he sent it for. And sometimes our biggest flops are our biggest victories. Sometimes when things just seem to go wrong at every level, out of it comes a new shoot that grows and develops into something so awesome so powerful, so incredible because it's achieved the purpose of what God sent his word. So in the midst of the struggles and the troubles, God's word is achieving his purpose and his cause. Now as I was reading this during the week and the sermon last week on heirs of the kingdom, We talked about ownership of the word of God, ownership of the purpose of God, and ownership of the glory of God. And I thought all three are in this chapter. So if we go back to verse 7, which is where we started, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him, and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. I think God is inviting his people, Israel, to come into heirship, to become heirs, to own his word, to own his purpose, and to own his glory. And for them to do those three things, they had to make an incredible shift from where they are 
to where he wants them to be. Now, the focus is not on where we are, it's where we're going. The focus is not, hey, you guys have stuffed this up so badly that I've got to call you wicked. That's not what God's emphasising. He wants to say, that's where you are, but if you'll take it to heart and you'll make the movement I want you to make, you're going to be with me. And you're going to be people who think my way. And you're going to be people who act my way. And you're going to have this incredible ability to own my word, my purpose, and my glory. Is it there? Well, let's just have a look. In verse 5, it says this. Surely you shall call a nation you do not know, and nations who do not know you shall turn to you because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. There's his glory. Because of the ownership that we need to take, when that ownership occurs, he puts his glory on us. That we own that glory. It's not just his glory, it's his and ours. Because he has given it to us. We haven't taken it. We haven't robbed him. We tried to do that in the past. But this is a call to move beyond the past to the future where his glory will rest on us as a church because of the ownership we've taken of that glory. And then we've touched on this word. Credible statement. Let's go back to it. For as the rain comes down and the snow from heaven and do not return there but water the earth and make it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that that goes forth from my mouth, and it shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it will prosper in the thing for which I sent it. There's the word of God on us. That it will take this word, that it will take ownership, not that it will take it to do what we want it to do for us. That's not ownership of the word of God. Not that we'll take the ones that we like and say, I claim those, but there must be something wrong with those other verses. That we take it wholeness, that we grapple with it, and we grapple with it to the extent that we begin to understand what God is really trying to do with the promise he's given to us, the words that he shared with us, what they call the Rima word, the word that comes alive to us. What is God trying to do as we take the ownership of the word we actually start to get it. Instead of looking for what God is not actually going to do with his word, we begin to see what he actually wants to do with that word and why he sent it. And there in the midst of that is also his purpose. He wants us to own his purpose, his cause, to do what he's doing. I just love it when Jesus tells the Jewish leadership that He only does what he sees the Father doing. He hasn't come to do his own will. He's come to do the Father's will. And he calls us to that place, to do the Father's will. And there are loaded promises he gives when we take that to heart and we step out on it. When we take the ownership of God's purpose and cause and we begin to invest in it, act in it, give our time to it, believe it, Trust it, 
They're all ingredients of ownership. And without that, it's going to be a pretty mundane life. But if we take hold of God's coattails as he moves and hold on, we're just going to have such an adventure, such a blessing to be there in the middle of what God's doing, to be in the middle of his highway. That's where we should be. It's not a geographical place. It is a centred heart place. And where we're centred heartly in the centre of God's highway, it gets truly exciting. You see things that you could never believe you could see. You actually go and throw a book into the sea and dig out a fish with a coin in its mouth. And not just a coin in its mouth, the exact coin needed to pay the tax. That's kingdom resources. And I feel we don't often touch those resources enough. We don't often dig into them. And partly because we haven't quite nailed what God really wants to do. To nail his real purpose. We touch on it from time to time. But if we'll get our hearts centred to own his word, not quibble with him about it, not try to rationalise it, not try to explain our behaviour, because you can't get away with it. Jesus even tells us that. Own it up, get it done with, work it out with God and finish it so you can get on with business, kingdom business, miracle working business that you can take that next step with God that he wants you to take. Now, I'm aware that maybe some people listening to us today who haven't even taken the first step towards God. And Jesus is speaking to your heart. You know he's calling you. And I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer with me to take that first step with Jesus, to bring you into his kingdom, into the presence of Father God, to adopt you as one of the children of God and to open up an incredible adventure for your life. So I just want you to pray the words after me as I pray them. Father God, I come to you through Jesus Christ. I thank you for your love for me. I thank you for your mercy. I thank you that you are God that forgives, and I confess I have sinned against you. I have gone my own way, done my own thing, haven't followed your way at all. And I ask your forgiveness. And Lord, I give you thanks right now for the forgiveness that you've given. Jesus, I invite you into my life as my Lord and Saviour. And I thank you that your blood cleanses me of sin and cleanses my conscience. I invite you into my heart that I may walk with you now and for eternity. And I give thanks for your coming. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now for us others, let me just do a final prayer. Father, help us to grapple with the ownership of your word, your purpose, and your glory. To not only we get it, but we implement it. We grapple so far that we begin to see what you're truly doing and the part that you're asking us to do and the resources that you're providing. 
so that your kingdom can come and your word can be fulfilled and your cause to have victory. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to hear more great messages, check out our Facebook page or look us up on the net at cornerstone-church.com.au.